Hi, and welcome to the Entrepreneur Organization Business Podcast. I'm your host, Lynn Pedetti. Now, today I have the pleasure of introducing our guest, Tommy Lim. Tommy is an esteemed member of EO Sydney and the founder and managing director of SF Capital, a finance brokerage located in Sydney, Australia. Now, during our conversation, we had the opportunity to delve into Tommy's recent achievement of obtaining his MBA, as well as exploring the remarkable journey of growing his mortgage business. Tommy generously shares his firsthand experiences of overcoming the valley of death and successfully settling his first $100 million in the mortgage industry. Additionally, we discuss how he is skillfully navigating the current challenging property market. Well, please join me in giving a warm welcome to Tommy Lim. Well, welcome to the show, Tommy. So good to have you here. Hi, Lynn. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, so, Tommy, uh, you just came back from the MBA. And yes, yeah, on today's episode, we're going to really talk through about your business journey and the valley of death and all that and amazing things. But I actually want to hear a little bit about your, first of all, your, yourself, your business, and then this MBA that you just came back from. For the audience, yeah, my name's Tommy Lim. I run a mortgage broking firm called SF Capital. We're a multi-service firm, meaning we do residential loans, commercial loans, and asset finance, but we really focus on business owners and entrepreneurs as our core client. Yeah, that's uh, a, a big passion of mine and also why I'm an EO Sydney member. Yeah. And then you just came back from MBA. So tell me about that. What was the experience like? Okay, and why did you cool. decide to do it? Yeah. yeah. So I spent the last three years, especially in the middle of the pandemic, doing an executive MBA with Chicago Booth, which is the business school of the University of Chicago. And a big part of why I did it is mortgage broking and running a broking business is a very domestic business. And I found most of my network um, being very Sydney focused and Australia focused. And I really wanted to reach out and develop a global network. You just never know when that would be handy. And it's very important in this day and age to, you know, not just you know, have a, a closed mind, but really have a connection to the rest of the world. And I and I intentionally chose to foster that. So that was a big reason for doing it. Is it to open your mind up on how other countries are doing it? Not necessarily because if you're a mortgage broker, I'm imagining you've got the Australian properties and laws yeah. and clients, but you're just hoping that maybe other mortgage brokers or other people in the finance industry are doing things differently here? That's definitely part of it. So in the program, you have you have classmates from all around the world, from Africa to Europe. I had study groups where I had a, a Russian, a Ukrainian, and a Kazakhstan um, person in my own study group, which was a really unique experience. And of course, you have uh, students from the US. And so while there's many that work in the finance industry, um, it's actually the, the diversity of cultures and the diversity of professions, which help form new experiences. So while mm -hmm. I guess I was looking for best practices, I was more looking for those like connection points and those overlaps and stretching my thinking beyond broking itself. So mm. uh, that was a big, another big part of why I did it. Oh, congratulations anyway, I completed it. And how long did it take for you to actually finish? Uh, so it started in July, 2020, in the heart of the pandemic. I was meant to graduate last year, June, 2020 because that's when most of my classmates graduated. But I also had the birth of my first son in February last year. Yeah, being good to my wife and also, you know, being a more focused dad as well as running a business. I chose to defer it and I graduated 
two weeks ago. So two Saturdays ago. So uh, the 3rd of June. Mm, oh, that's awesome. Congratulations on both the education front and your child. Yeah, so exactly. Go back into the, the main topic here, which I wanted to talk to you about, because you shared with me something really interesting around valley of death. And I've only heard that term a little bit in the scaling up book, and but I don't really understand fully. So could you yeah. uh, share your experience around that? Okay, so in, in your reference to scaling up and startups, uh, the value of debt is a reference to does a does a company actually make make it to financial viability, right? Do they can they get their unit economics right? Can they get their profitability up so they then they have a viable business model to scale? Okay, in the broken world, it's probably not as deep and not as perilous. <laughs> you know, you can still kind of survive writing a couple loans a month. But why I phrased it like that is a lot of brokers start out looking at broken quite casually. You know, like they they think of it as side income, ability to make extra money, and not all treat it like a business or a professional role. And so I think there is this chasm of are you a professional broker or are you a person who thinks of it as a business and especially evolving to a broking business? And I think the first hundred million that you write is a very good milestone. So that's kind of my thinking and phrasing around that that, uh, mm. that period of your broken career. Okay. So what was your challenge and journey like growing from a startup as a mortgage broker yeah. and being able to write up a hundred million dollars? Like what did you go through and how did you overcome some of those early days challenges? Okay. The biggest challenge for any startup business is sales. Uh, this is assuming you, you've got your product ready. So broking, you already have the product suite ready because um, it's quite a mature market and banks are ready to sell, ready to distribute loans. I would say sales is a big challenge alongside sales, branding yourself and marketing. And also the product knowledge, policy knowledge, I call it tacit knowledge, like knowledge you only know doing the role through making mistakes and doing the grind yourself. That is a very uh, a tough thing, which most new brokers, even if they're experienced bankers, underestimate. So you want me to go into each of them then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, love to hear. All right. When, when I first started, it was literally me and my mobile phone and my Rolodex and my phone list. And I still lived at home at that time, so I was just working from my bedroom. And you're just trying to, if you've been fortunate, I was trying to cultivate the network that I had. And so I was lucky in the sense that without knowing it, I had built up a very good network in my career. I was a management consultant before then that allowed me something to work from. So. I uh, went to Sydney Tech, uh, which is a selective high school down south. I would I did two degrees in, in my undergraduate, so commerce and law. So there was there was two networks there that evolved. I worked in consulting at a firm called Booz and Company, which was bought by PwC. So PwC also became a network. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was very active in my community. So in church, sport, um, I, I've been the guy that people go to for their weddings. Like I've emceed probably five weddings. I've ushered, I've driven my friends around, I've stacked chairs. Yep. Uh, like, so kind of being that reliable trust person, 
trustworthy person helps. And it was basically working through these networks with very genuine outreach, um, mm-hmm. calling to share where I am in life and what I'm doing rather than asking them, do you have a mortgage that um, needs refinancing or can I help you with your next home? It was just a series of intentional, but, you know, yeah. coming from a good place. Yeah. yeah. And working through those networks systematically and showing up with intent, presence and uh, a willingness to give was, you know, no one really writes that in their business plan, but that's what allowed me to build the first kind of 20, 30 clients that mm. uh, formed the the seed or the kernel of your client base. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So with the um, the journey to $100 million uh, to thing, how long did that take? Yeah. And that's probably that the cool. number of like cli- the client that you would end up having with that amount? Yeah. So uh, just easy maths, like if you're doing one, your average loan size is 1 million, you need 100 clients. Uh, but in when you're first starting out, you tend to write smaller loans. So average loan size is close to 500,000. So you probably, I had to build up 200 clients to hit that milestone. It probably still took me three years or so to, mm-hmm. to break through that. It was a very slow grind. I didn't settle my first loan for nine months. Was, wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So th- this was um, this is back in 2013, and I came from I guess a very like trained, heavily analytical background, but I was not a bank or a broker. So cash flow, I guess, becomes an issue. And two things helped me then. Okay. So the first was. While I was building this client base, I still had to generate startup income. And so I leaned on my consulting skills to freelance, provide freelance consulting to different businesses part-time mm. until broking tipped over. Over. Yeah. And I could cut the cord completely. I, I would say that milestone was when we launched our first, now you can get a website up really quickly, but before I had to take time to design it all that. Um, that was that still probably took me, even though I settled my first loan in month nine, it probably wasn't until month 14 that I cut the cord completely from sort of side income. Mm. So that was that kind of that was my side hustle for whilst for example. The second, and I have to pay tribute and thank my parents, I lived at home. And that was probably the biggest I was like twenty six at the time. And that was probably my biggest cash flow. <laughs> Yeah, strategy. Uh-huh. And so I guess from that, the takeaway for entrepreneurs, use every advantage you can get. Mm. You know, no matter whether it be family, you know, people in your network, whatever government grants, rebates, just whatever budgeting, you know, and I say the same thing when buying a home, don't break the law, uh, but you got to use every resource available to you to get past that hump of getting to a, a viable business. Mm, mm. And so uh, you mentioned this number of hundred million. Like, what does that mean like, in terms of team size? And yeah. uh, what does business end up looking like now? Yeah. So then? these days, because of house prices going up so much, people achieve that number a lot more quickly. Yeah, got um, But back then, it looked like me and say two assistants, two analysts, two EAs, whatever you want to call them. 
to yeah. people that kind of help produce behind you as you're generating the sales. Mm -hmm. That was that was the the core team. Now those people have elevated up and they have their own team behind them. Um, but that's kind of the ba the minimum configuration that you need. Well, I found I needed to get going. And of mm -hmm. course, you're outsourcing as much as you can. Mm -hmm. It's your business is a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Marketing support, IT, website design, um, the stuff you're not, not good at, you're, you're kind of giving out to others and you're just focusing on, on building the customer base. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Now, I know looking, talking about the term valley of death, um, I can't help to think that at this point in time, uh, the market is a little bit crazy for yeah. mortgage, uh, people who owe a mortgage and as well as you guys as a mortgage broker. So, yeah, t talk me through about what challenges are you facing now in this kind of um, yeah. environment? Yeah, good question, Lynn. It does feel like we're a startup again because um, in terms of transaction volume, so, you know, we think business models as entrepreneurs, a brokerage, whether you're a boutique brokerage, a mortgage broking firm like ours, or your concept, a brokerage relies on volume through the platform to make money. It actually doesn't matter if prices are up or down. So there's a lot of talk on prices being down, you know, 10%, they're now back up a little bit. Mm. Um, however, for a brokerage, prices do matter, but you really want volume through your platform. And for us, that comes, part of it is the refinance market, but the other part is listings and trading trades that happen, property trades that happen, people that buy and sell and, that, and the property actually changes hands. Listings and transactions are down about 20% this year. Wow. And if prices are down, transactions are down, it's like you multiply those through and there's a big hit on a business. And so it does feel like we're building again and we're trying to get ahead of that curve again um, into mm -hmm. a period of viability and catching the wave again. Yeah. So what kind of uh, marketing or strategies are you experimenting with now? Because, I mean, it's one of those times where even me, I'm an investor and, and I feel like, yeah, we should just wait to buy something. We just wait because we just don't know. And so, yeah, like, what? Yeah, how are you approaching all that? Yeah. Okay, so uh, we have a lot of cylinders firing. I'd say in the background, which uh, you know is a is a team based effort, and it doesn't utilize my time directly, is uh, content marketing and social media. So on our Instagram, on our Facebook, especially, and and also LinkedIn, is content and material to help our audience uh, understand what it means to buy a home, especially next home because our client base and target market has matured and so if you follow our instagram um big shout out to social wave who you know and you know <laughs> level asian team so we're <laughs> with them who uh, we partner with them we're actually big in coming up with the content ourselves so mm. we believe that's our point of difference our ip they help us with the execution delivery and mm. so how it looks feels gets delivered that's them. The content and angle is us. Uh, so that's going on in the background. Um, but I'm also very active on my own LinkedIn to give my network unique insights that are a little bit sharper that maybe don't fit for a broader audience. Right? Mm. It's, it's kind of going deeper again in terms of my unique insight and thoughts on the market. 
Mm. Um, so that's happening in the background um, in terms of content. But really, Lynn, I'm out there today, 10 years in, mm. networking, pounding the pavement, calling, at the helm, working hard to drive sales. And so yeah. uh, we're a member of the uh, CBD Sydney Chamber of Commerce. Um, we're a member of EO Sydney. That's where mm. I each other. Um, member of Tattersall's Club. We are the primary finance sponsor of Auction Works, which is a big auction house in the Sydney CBD. Mm. Um, every Tuesday we are there, or I am personally there, uh, meeting agents, meeting prospective um, buyers in a live auction environment. Yeah, getting mm. to know their needs, shaking hands, handing out business cards. And uh, team members of mine have been in BNI. Yeah. So we still think active business development is a core strategy. Mm-hmm. Well, I know you're out there too. So yeah. um, very active. And then finally, nurturing our existing client base. Um, mm-hmm. That's where a lot of the value lies. And so we have a staff member dedicated to reviewing their loads. Mm-hmm. See, and this is thinking of it as a broken business, not like just, you know, part time or a hobby. This staff member carefully reviews everyone's loans, making sure that they're on the most competitive pricing with the existing bank. And then if it's not good enough, my team come in and look to find another offer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so those are the kind of three yeah. marketing, business development, cultivating existing client base. Those are kind of the core activities in this current market. Yeah, yeah. So nowadays, uh, what is you mentioned that you network? So yeah, can you describe what what's a day like in in for you as a CEO or or the founder of the business yeah. now? Um, I would say the days vary a lot, right? So for example, yesterday it was back to back business development. Like mm-hmm. I was, I was at Auction Works, then met a mentor for lunch, then. Um, went to another event on finance AI, like the interaction between finance and AI. And then I was at RSM, which is a, uh, a EO partner, um, who they invited Tara Rushton, um, you know, the sports news journalist to present. And so it was, it was really back, back networking. Um, today I'm in the office, I'm here with you, and I will be working on uh, specific clients and projects just at my desk, just getting through content today. Mm-hmm. Um, Thursday, I'm in Social Waves' uh, new studio recording our next kind of series of marketing. Yeah. Uh, so day is not typical, but that kind of gives you a good breakdown of the week. And then Friday is back in the office, management team meetings. We actually have a, a strategy half day this Friday. Um, yeah. So that's a good mix of... Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like my day actually. A bit of content, a bit of networking, a bit of team management. Um, now, looking back at your whole journey, how long have you been in business now? This particular finance. Uh, business? So this is the tenth year running this business, but before mm. that, always been an entrepreneur at heart. So I was a co-founder of a, a startup called OneFlare uh, Marketplace. That's familiar. Yeah, so OneFlare is probably like number three in the industry. And so High Pages and Airtasker are the yeah. uh, Airtasker bought one flare last year around around this time. Yeah. Okay. You co founded One Flare. Yeah, yeah. Oh wow. 
okay. Adam Dong and Marcus Lim. Yeah. 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 Oh, nice. Um, and so you've been in this uh, business for 10 years. I would like, how would you describe um, the journey going like hustle, easy hustle? Like, you know, if you look, because I'm just thinking about the valley, right? Has yeah. it been really deep, high, you know? Yeah. They're, they're um, extremely rewarding. And, you know, I did an MBA, but actually running a business is the real MBA, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, like I, I, I did the MBA to challenge myself, network, grow, learn new frameworks, new ways of thinking, but nothing beats actually running business. There's a book and a mentor that like I call him unofficial mentor because I've never actually met, but yeah. I learned a lot from this person. Um, there's a book called The Entrepreneurial Roller Coaster. Oh my God. By Darren Hardy. I, I okay, I'm going to write it down. Yeah. And that book describes it really well in terms of um, what you go through. It, it is ups and downs. And the, I don't know if you like roller coasters, but how much resilience and fortitude do you have to really take the dip? Yeah. yeah. Um, some people are thrill seekers, massive risk appetite. Uh, other people like, you know, the kitty roller coaster. Uh, but the entrepreneurial roller coaster is massive ups and downs. And of course, if you take on more risk, like I run a mortgage broking firm, the risk profile is, you know, moderate to medium, depending on how hard you want to go. But if you run a like a, a tech startup with venture funding, then the valleys of troughs are. Then, yeah. So, yeah. Knowing knowing what you know about business and MBA and this what this book says, what is your perspective of business? Like, if you if someone said like, what does entrepreneurship mean to you, or what what is it all really about? What would you say? Uh, look, coming. From uh, a Christian perspective, as well as digging from, you know, thinking through things personally, it ultimately, you can have a lot of money, but you don't take it away. And so it's, SF stands for the service first. And so it's service to others uh, that really matters. And how do you cultivate value from that, that allows that, that, person to win but also your business to win if you can unlock that that's really the heart of a a good meaningful purposeful business and so by thought process and then you know how big you want to make that really is down to your drive and skill but i think if profitable service that comes from a good place should be the starting point okay also that's a beautiful answer i guess this leads me to the final question which I always ask all my guests is, uh, yeah, what do you want the world to remember Tommy for? Oh, man. I, I would say like one of my, you know, it's, you don't put this on your CV, but one of my skills is actually connecting the dots in terms of putting maybe two people who never thought they would like kind of collaborate or get together together, mm-hmm. um, as well as just introductions. I make like tons of introductions like every week. So I think... Look, just something simple that Tommy was someone who um, really added value to your life personally, as well as your business. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. I love that. <laughs> it, 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 it's a similar to what you're in business for, really. You're just helping serving clients. So, yeah, thank you so much for sharing your story with me today, Tommy. Uh, I'll make sure that we've got all your dis- uh, information of your business and and how they can contact you in the description below of the video. But other than that, thank you so much for your time. All right. 
Thanks so much, Lynn. Thank you.